morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you this morning. I love seeing all the old faces and, wow, some of the new faces. I'm so glad you're here. Let me say to those of you who are new to North Sub, North Sub has had a very special place in uh, my life and Marsha's life and our family's life. We've been so blessed, and um, we will always cherish being a part of the history of this church and congregation. And so many of you touched our lives. And uh, I, the thing that I'll never forget, and I, and I don't forget even to this day, this church talks about extravagant grace as one of the core values that they want to be, that grace of Christ to others. They not only work toward that end, I found this congregation to be full of extravagant grace. And you'll be blessed by them as well. So I, I, I'm glad you're here with us. Um, I want to thank Pastor Tim for calling me and inviting me to come and speak and the elders uh, for allowing me to come and speak. Pastor Tim, um, if you don't know, I just think he's a phenomenal pastor. He's an incredible man. Um, he is genuine. He is totally in for the Lord. Um, and I think the church is blessed to have him. Um, and I want to say, uh, Maggie, what a great job as a worship leader. I'm just, yeah. you, you have a great gift, and Pastor Tim will provide you with um, leadership. And I could tell you that as a ministry partner, I was learning things under him, even you know, after all these years. So I'm glad you guys are together. Um, you know, retired life is a little different than I anticipated. Uh, Marsha married me for better or for worse, but not for lunch. Uh, and I knew there needed to be some space, but we're actually being able to manage lunch these days. I think it's the Lord's blessing. Um, for me, retirement, a little bit harder because I'm, I'm, I don't like slowing down as much. Um, but Marsha, like a duck to water. She's awesome. Uh, I have, under the advice of a few close friends who know me really well and love the Lord, um, they told me I needed to disengage from ministry for a year. Uh, so I started on rehabbing our, our retirement home. It took about a year and a half, uh, but Marsha's honeydew lists have extended longer, so it was closer to uh, a couple of years. Um, and it's been great for me as I've begun to try to re-engage in ministry. I've been talking to uh, a regional seminary. They are going through some of the re-engineering that Trinity has gone through. So some of the discussions I'm having with them seem to be going on and on and on. Not sure where they're going. Not sure they're ready. They've expressed some interest in perhaps my working with some of the uh, future ministry students. Um, from a mentoring standpoint. Um, and then I've done a lot of research on a um, deliverance ministry, one that I think is um, very good and helpful and uh, healthy from a, both a spiritual and a psychological model. And it's a ministry that uh, I'm beginning to be involved in. So just if you're wondering what's going on, that's kind of it. 
um, from that standpoint. Um, I do love the time I have uh, retired, and part of it I spent fishing just two weeks ago. Do we got that? I was up with a salmon run on the Pierre Marquette, and that, that wasn't the biggest one I caught, but that was the best picture. And my brother-in-law, between my brother-in-law and I, it was just amazing. We were, it, it was an amazing experience, great fun. And then many of you remember Dominic, who came here with Marcia and I, and he was about five years old. And every year, I take a picture with Dominic. And it started out as a little boy with his arm around my shoulder sitting at a hot dog stand. And then it grew to my arm around him. And this is Dominic today. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Now, I, this is what my family does in retirement to me. And, and I want you to know, my daughter said, oh, Dad, this is making the videos for your funeral. They are making a collection of videos for my funeral. So this is what retirement is, and I have to find ways to reciprocate, so I, I think about it all the time. Well, thank you for giving me just that moment to just kind of catch up with you. If I can open us in prayer, we'll go to the word of the Lord. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege to come and speak your word. And I thank you for everybody here today. I thank you most of all for your Holy Spirit, Lord, which has given us your word so that we can know you and that we can live in relationship with you, not only here, but throughout all eternity. I pray now that the Holy Spirit will speak into each and every heart the truth that you've provided in your word to us. Your word, not only that he inspired to give, but that he helps us to understand and to apply for our own lives now. I thank you for the presence of your spirit in my study, and I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use me now uh, to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Socrates was one of the greatest teachers and philosophies ever. He was born in 470 BC in Greece. His parents, his father was a sculptor, his mother was a midwife. And uh, what few people know is that he served with distinction in the, in the army of Athens. Um, he went on to be a great teacher. Two of his uh, students were Plato and Aristotle. And we know about Socrates because of Plato. He's the one who has told us much about him. He is famous for uh, a style of teaching called the Socratic method. The use of questions. And instead of teaching by conveying information, the teaching took place by asking questions which caused the students right, to engage in a different way, in the, in the search for the answer. And he used questions, deeper questions, 
to, to cause them to clarify, right, what their understanding is and to get a sense of accuracy and fullness to that whole understanding. In a sense, Socrates was teaching his pupils to be life learners. One of the values of questions is that they help us to become life learners. And I pray that I will not stop asking questions until the day the Lord calls me home, and maybe not even then. Jesus, this morning in the scripture, asks a man a very important question. The question on the surface seems trivial because the answer is self-obvious. But if you look deeper into the story, as we will this morning, there are important implications far beyond the surface for that man and for us. So I invite you now to open up your Bibles, if you have them, and read along with me. If you don't, there are Bibles located in the seat underneath in front of you. The text is from John chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 18, and we're going to read this in three parts. The first part is verses 1 through the beginning of 9. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming... Someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. This is the second time that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, according to John. He is making a religious pilgrimage. We're not quite sure why. Jesus was certainly raised to do that. We find as a young boy, he goes to Jerusalem for the kinds of events that you should be there for. And of course, in the Jewish community, they went to Jerusalem or to go there at least three times a year for different religious festivals. We're not sure which one this is. We do know that Jesus is beginning to expand his ministry beyond Galilee. And perhaps there is no better place for him to do this than in Jerusalem, where these crowds now of people are gathered for these pilgrimages. Perhaps that's a reason also why Jesus goes. What we do know is Jesus is approaching the city. He comes to the pool of Bethsaida. This is a little side point. Now, it describes Bethsaida as having five colonnades or porches, and, or, or decks, we might say, and they had covers over them, and the lame and disabled and paralyzed would come and wait to be healed. And they waited for, according to 
one of the notes that a scribe put in uh, one of the early translations, not the earliest, but according to those notes, they, they believed that an angel would come and stir the waters and then they would go in. When archaeologists went looking for this pool, they couldn't find it. They found a pool by the sheep gates, but it had four sides. And for many years, they were thinking, maybe Paul is not, I mean, uh, John is not so much a historian as he's writing about a theological uh, perspective. After a long time, they did some further excavation and they found that there was an upper pool as well as a lower pool. And the water from the upper pool was used to fill the water in the lower pool. And the lower pool was used for um, ceremonial cleansing. So what they discovered was that John's words were historically accurate. And so much of what archaeologists find is the accuracy, the historical accuracy of the Bible. And that helps me to believe the miracles of the Bible are true. So as Jesus is walking into the city, he comes to this pool, he sees a man. He has been disabled for 38 years. We don't know what his disability is. But he asks the man, do you want to get well? It's a question that has a self-evident answer. Why would he be there if he didn't want to be well? The interesting thing is that translations sometimes use a, a different word for this. In the ESV, which the church used um, previous to the one you're using now, the CSV translation, the ESV uses the word healed. It's a word-to-word -word translation. But the CSV and several other translations use the word get well. And the reason for that is that the word John used here in Greek is a word that's seldom used in the New Testament. It refers to healing, but healing on more than just a physical level. It connotes balance and harmony and wellness. In the Greek perspective, it, it connotes wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. Jesus was asking the man, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed in body, mind, and spirit? The man's answer was yes to physical healing. But he failed to grasp the wholeness of the question that Jesus was asking. Jesus grants the man the gift of healing. But I believe also Jesus grants the man this gift of wholeness. When we get to verse 14, I think you'll see why I believe that Jesus gives him the whole gift. Now, in my impression, as I prepared and thought about, what does this mean for us? What are the implications of this for us? I believe that we are very much like this man. We often limit the blessings of God. We can't imagine the blessings that God wants to pour out for us. In Ephesians chapter 3 at the end, 
Paul's praying this prayer, and he talks about how God wants to do more than we could ever imagine in terms of blessing us. Instead, we limit God. We don't know why this man limits God. Maybe he was hyper-focused on what he thinks he needed most from God, or maybe he's just unaware that God wants to bless him more. We, perhaps, have that same issue. We get focused on something, we bring it to God, we want God to heal that. We want God to answer that question. But God has something else in store for you. I remember at 42, I went to the doctor and found out I had diabetes. I thought, well, God could heal this. Now, you should know diabetes runs in my family, and my mother became a diabetic at 42 as well. And my uncle, her brother, was a diabetic on insulin, and my cousin, his son. And I remember thinking, well, I should go to the Lord and ask for healing. I was running four miles a day. I was watching myself. My wife asked the doctor, why did he get it? He's the one who does everything to take care of himself. She said, he said to her, good genes. And I remember about a week later in my prayer life, feeling as though God was speaking to me, reminding me that this is something I will carry with me for the rest of my life, just as Jacob had his hip put out of joint when he wrestled with God, that he would always remember the blessing of God for him. God had given me a gift that I didn't understand fully, nor appreciate fully, but it was a blessing nonetheless and has been. And because of my diabetes and the way they keep track of me, they discovered prostate cancer earlier, They've discovered uh, things that they surveil, like nodules in my lungs or whatever. It's kind of amazing. There are blessings that God wants to bestow on us, and we don't even understand the nature of all of them. We would limit the blessing of God. It's something that we do. Here's one of the things I would like you to consider for yourself. Where do you limit the blessing of Jesus in your life? Where do you limit the blessing of Jesus in your life? This is a question that's going to be easy to pass over, just like the man passed over the question from the man, do you want to be well? Don't do it. Don't pass it over. Take the time to consider it. I remember once being totally afraid because the blessings of God were so overwhelming to me. They just kept coming. My wife came into my life. Things in ministry opened up. It was just one thing after another after another, what I would have considered blessing because they were so many good things. 
And it, I, was, I, was, I was beginning to get overwhelmed. And then I was beginning to get afraid. Well, what if God takes this away? How am I going to handle that? And is God going to give me something I can't handle? I tell you that we limit all the blessing that God wants to give us because we don't understand how his favor, undeserved favor, is poured out into our lives. We measure it by what we think, which has been conditioned by the world, rather than what God thinks and wants for eternity. What if Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor? Do you want the blessing that comes with that? The rich man didn't. Or what if God wants you to, be, to suffer so that you could be further sanctified? Or what if God wants you to go to the homeless or go into the prisons or go to some third world country be with people who make you very uncomfortable because that's what God does. But always there is the blessing of God with that. And let me say this, whatever God's blessing is, the blessing is more than what it will cost you. The blessing of God is always more than what it will cost you. I never wanted to be a pastor I didn't want to be a pastor at the age of 50. And I had been doing it for 20-some years. And I tell you, I have been blessed many times over, more than I could have imagined. God has granted to me so many blessings. And I'm not saying it hasn't been hard sometimes. But wow. Don't be afraid of the blessing of God. Now let me say this. If you don't know Jesus today, God wants to bless you with the free, undeserved gift of his love. Not because of anything you do, but because God chooses to love you. You may not believe you're lovable. You may not believe that your sins can be forgiven. You may not believe that Anything you do is of worth or value. But God values you. God loves you. That's why he sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross and to shed his blood. Because you matter. It says in Revelations that he knocks at the door. If anyone opens the door, he'll come in and and have fellowship with him. I tell you today, Jesus is knocking on somebody's door. If it's your door, invite him in. And if you're not sure what that means, you come up and talk to me afterwards, talk to Pastor Tim, talk to one of the elders, or you could talk to any church member of this church. And all of us, or any of us, would be happy to help you explore that more and to invite him into your life. Well, let's move on to the second part of the text, verses 9b through 15. Now that day, 
was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who he was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. The scriptures tell us that the, the problem was the miracle was performed on the Sabbath. Torah says that the Sabbath is a holy day, a day set apart for the Lord, and that everyone is to rest from their labors, to imitate what God did in the week of creation. He labored for six days, creating everything, and then rested from his labor of creation on the seventh day. The Mishnah, or the oral tradition that goes along with the law, cites 39 activities that people were to refrain from. One of those activities is carrying. This man was carrying his mat. The religious leaders see him. They confront him. And the man becomes afraid, and he does what most of us do when we're confronted. He points to someone else. He doesn't know, but he says, the healer is the man who told me to take up my mat. That's why I'm carrying on Sunday, or would have been Saturday for them, the Sabbath. He said, well, who is this man? And incredibly, he doesn't know. You would think he would know who it was who healed him. We're not quite sure why he doesn't know. The text isn't completely clear about that. Did Jesus just disappear? Did the guy, you know, forget to ask who he was? He didn't even thank him. What we do find out is that later on, Jesus sees the man on the temple grounds. But Jesus also sees a man's soul sickness. And Jesus warns him to stop sinning or something worse may happen. This warning is what suggests to me that Jesus gave him the full healing of mind and spirit as well as body. There's no elaboration about what this something worse may be. It could be that he may be punished with another infirmity. Most likely it means, as scripture says elsewhere, that if you will allow sin to have hold, take hold in your life, it will have mastery over you. Not only in the present, oppressing, obsessing, even to the point of, of taking over everything in your life. Certainly in the now that's possible, but also in eternity. 
There is a hell, Jesus tells us. And those who reject God and reject this undeserved favor that he wants to pour out upon you through Jesus. That's the place to go for those people. Well, it appears that the man remains unchanged in mind and spirit. His soul is sick, and it probably remains sick. Now, why do I say that? Everywhere we see in the Gospels, when Jesus heals or touches a person, they are changed. They are changed, not just physically, but they are changed. Consider when Jesus heals ten lepers. The one leper, after he goes to the priest, as Jesus commands, he goes to find Jesus. And what's he doing? He's praising God. He's falling down at the feet of Jesus and thanking Jesus. Or consider um, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. These were women who were healed of evil spirits or healed of illnesses. And as a result, they not only became followers of Jesus, but they became part of an intimate ministry team that supported him and his work. Or consider Zacchaeus, an unscrupulous tax collector. Jesus tells him he's going to have dinner with them to go and make ready, and there'll be a great banquet. And his acceptance of this greedy person who's been cheating people and collecting wealth for himself. He is so touched by the presence of Jesus. He says, I will give half of everything I have to the poor, and I will make whole and restore more than what Scripture requires of me for those I've cheated. These are the kinds of changes that go along with the healing of Jesus. It's not just body, but mind and spirit as well. We don't see that in this man. The Bible commands to those of us who are saved by Jesus that we are not to sin anymore also. We are no longer to be counted among sinners, but among saints as children of God. We have a new identity, and we are given a new personality, character, and thoughts that shape our life and how we conduct ourselves as we live out our life. Still, we must fight against the old flesh nature. What is the old flesh nature? It is all the thoughts and emotional reactions you ever had apart from God. All the self-talk that we do, that's the flesh nature. That is us talking, and I want you to know That is evil also putting impressions in your mind and you're having reactions to them. That flesh nature is real and the war against it goes on in our lives. And Paul speaks about it in his letters eloquently and importantly. My point in saying this is we are like recovering alcoholics and recovering addicts. As saints, we are recovering sinners. 
What does it mean to be recovering from sin? It means dying to self, to that old person, to that flesh nature, to all that self-talk that's about you and what you're going to do or you have no value or no worth. All of that. Dying to all of that. All that desire after the things that are not of God. It is dying to self. And it is living for Jesus. And that is that the spirit he pours into us gives us a new identity of value and worth to God. And a purpose in our life for bringing healing and love to others in this world to make an eternal difference and wholeness so that they too can be free from all the things that rob us of God's goodness and God's blessing. This recovery is a lifelong process of transformation said very well in Romans 12, 12, where we read, do not be conformed to this age. That would be all the thoughts of this world that influence us and shape our values and our thought processes, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that takes place with the Word of God, right? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. How do we say no to sin? and the forces of spiritual darkness that have hold of us and manifest as soul sickness in us, these strongholds of old thoughts and old emotional patterns? And how do we say yes to God and the life he wants us to live in relationship to him and in relationship to others? We find the answer in Galatians. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 and 25. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we walk with and in the Spirit? You know, at North Sub you have a thing called the marks of a disciple. And there's been teachings on that. And one of the marks of a disciple is walking with and in the Spirit. So if you want to know more about it, then go to the website, find those sermons and those teachings. Take the time to explore that for yourself. Very important. I'm going to say two very quick things that will get you on the right track, especially for those of you who just are just beginning. Number one, read and study your Bible daily. The Holy Spirit inspired the Scripture. If you want to understand what the Holy Spirit wants to say, then you need to be in the Word. But let me say also, the time you spend in the Word teaches you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, our cell phones uh, um, train themselves to our voice, right? And, and I, I'll be talking to my wife, and all of a sudden my cell phone is 
Well, I can't look that up. I'm like, what? Siri is talking to me, listening to me all the time. She knows my voice. When we're in the Word of God, it trains us to hear when the Holy Spirit is talking to us, guiding us and leading us. So be in the Word. And here's the second thing. Be in community with other believers. Be in community with other believers. It is the Holy Spirit working in others that has an impact. I can't tell you how many times I got great advice from people I was just listening to them. I'd be praying in the morning about something. Somebody would be talking to me about something else, and I swear they are answering the question I asked. Holy Spirit, coming through another person. And I can't tell you the number of times people have told me things I don't want to hear. And I could tell by my reaction, it must be something God wants me to hear. And my wife is absolutely one of those people. Unless you are connected with others, walking in and with the Spirit, you're going to miss the gift of wholeness that Jesus wants to give to you. Now, there are people who object, you know, the church does this and the church does that and people are screwy. Yeah, we are. We are a bunch of recovering sinners. We are screwy. I could promise you as a pastor, I'm screwy. But I can also promise you what Jesus showed me many, many years ago when I left my first church to come here. They had a big celebration and people shared stories of how I was involved in their life and it made a difference. I'm sitting there, you know, listening occasionally and I said to Marsha, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. you got to be kidding me. I'd never say anything like that. And I thought about that for two or three weeks. And you know what I figured out? That even in my imperfections, God was able to use me for good in somebody else's life. And God is able to use you for good in somebody else's life. And even our imperfections as we do community together, God is able to make us perfect in Christ. Enough of what we need. And it's those imperfections that really challenge us, but doesn't, isn't that what sanctifies us and makes us grow? It makes us grow in grace. It makes us grow in faithfulness. It makes us grow in patience. It makes us grow in self-control. It makes us grow in, in, in gentleness for me. That was the one thing. I said, God created me to be a middle linebacker. I'm supposed to run into everything and knock down walls. That's my job in life. God showed me gentle, strength, under control. All these things that God wants to create in us, he does in the body of Christ in a way, because we're all working for what? We're working for his purposes. And he wants us to have that whole blessing to be whole and perfect, lacking in nothing that we need. So the question today is, where do you continue to allow sin to have mastery over you? Where do you need more of God in your life and more of others to help in your recovery from sin? Is it impure thoughts? 
or actions? Is it pride? Is it unrestrained anger, resentment, unforgiveness, or an unwillingness to love? Is it envy or jealousy? Is it fear? Is it resistance to study God's word and to pray to the Lord? Or is it resisting doing life together with other recovering sinners? Then I say to you, turn to the Lord and the body of Christ. God and the body together, working together, will help you to turn away from sin and to embrace the renewal of your mind and your spirit. This is spiritual war, and we are stronger together than we are apart as individuals. And this leads us to the final point of today's text. Let's read the last text, verses 16 through 18. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying to kill, um, kill him more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. The problem was that Jesus not only healed on the Sabbath, but there is an even greater problem, as we shall see. They told Jesus that the law teaches we should imitate God and rest from our labors. But Jesus said God does not rest. His point was that God is always working, sustaining his creation. Otherwise, we would cease to exist, and so would his creation. They had no retort for what Jesus said other than you're breaking the law. Then Jesus says that one more thing that really gets him worked up. Not only was the Father working, but he says, and I am working also. This is the big issue. Only God can work on the Sabbath and not break the law. They realized Jesus was claiming to be God. They thought of him as a blasphemer and a messianic pretender. But history says otherwise. He was resurrected from the grave. And because of this, we know that everything he said is true and that he is the Lord incarnate, the gift of God to us. If we are being remade like Jesus, and if he is continuing the work of the Father, how are you and I continuing the Father's work like him? We need to consider this. How intentional are we in our witness? Are we looking and listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit so that we can share Jesus with others? Telling people about Jesus. Not worried about their judgments or how they'll react. Just bringing the good news. Proclaiming God's love and undeserved favor for them. In a way, we need to consider how can we be more intentional about carrying on the Father's work of witnessing to people? How can you keep your mission in mind, that is, personally and together, collectively? 
What is the mission of the church? It's the mission of all believers to connect with people at the well, disciple them in the word, in the word, send them out to the world as transformers and agents of transformation. How are you doing at connecting with people at the well? Family and friends, neighbors, associates and co-workers, even strangers <coughs> like your waiter and waitresses or the next person in line. It's a question for all of us we should not forget. As we go out into the world and leave the church, we are to take the mission of reaching people for Christ so that they may have the whole blessing of God as well. We're to find whimsical ways to do it as the Holy Spirit prompts us. The big idea today is simply that Jesus, who is the presence and power of the incarnate God, <clears throat> is standing before you, offering you blessing of healing and wholeness so that you can live fully in relationship to God and in relationship to others and so that they too may know the full blessing of God in their life as well. Thank you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the gift that you've given to us. We thank you for revealing to us that Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the promised one. We pray, Lord, that <clears throat> as he offers us the many blessings that he does, that, Lord, we would be eager to not limit those blessings, but to receive them fully. And we pray that you will use us to witness to the world. Help us, Lord, to do it through Project Share and through all the number of things that we can do, perhaps as life groups that we can come up with, perhaps with other friends, through our neighborhood, through reaching out, through the different ministries of our church. Help us, Lord, to carry out your kingdom and bless the people of this world. In your precious name we pray, amen.